seek him here, they seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? That damned elusive Pimpernel. The Adventures of the Scarlet Pimpernel, starring Marius Goring as Sir Percy Blakeney. Robespierre was dead, a victim of that same guillotine to which he had sent so many of his fellows, and the worst excesses of the French Revolution were over, for the time being, at any rate. Tony Dewhurst and I were on a holiday, the guests of our old friends, Sir Francis and Mary Trevallon, on their estate near Fowey. The Trevallons had an only daughter, Janet, aged 18, and as lovely as the coast of her native Cornwall. I had known her since she was a child. And one day, as Tony and I were strolling along the cliffs... I can't make you doubt. Upon my soul, I can't. There's something wrong with that girl, Percy. Uh, Janet, you mean? Yes. You remember what she was always like in the old days? So gay and carefree, laughing, full of fun. Now she mopes around the house as though life no longer held any interest for her. You must have noticed it, surely. And dear fellow, how could I have failed to? <laughs> Those eyes, Tony. So big and sad and... Full of dumb misery. So red with weeping. It's obvious she's desperately unhappy about something. Yes, but what? You've no idea. I'd help you, man. Well, not the vaguest, I'm afraid. Perhaps if one of us would have a talk to Francis. As a matter of fact, I brought the subject up in a tentative sort of way when I was with him this morning. I was smartly snubbed for my pain. Sure, it must be as plain to him as it is to us that there's something wrong. Well, he knows it all right. But he's not prepared to discuss it. In fact, I was practically told to mind my own business in the politest possible way, of course. It was typical. Mr. Valens always were a proud family. Oh, that's all very well, but ignoring the whole thing, as he and Mary seem determined to do, isn't going to help Janet very much, is it? And if I'm any judge, that child needs help. Why don't you grasp the nettle and speak to her yourself? I, I think you're the one who should do that. Oh, thank you, I. Yes, you've known her so much longer than I have. Yes, that's all very yes, well. Her parents might well resent any interference from me, whereas you've every justification. Solacing unhappy young women is a little out of my line. Besides, I'm afraid Janet regards me as a rather aging and foolish pop. One of the less pleasant penalties of the double lives we lead. And I doubt if she'd talk to me. Oh, she's terribly fond of you. You know that. Well, I can try, I suppose. The right opportunity comes along. The opportunity did occur the same evening. After dinner, Trevallon had urgent business for the manager of the estate. Mary went off to bed with a headache. Tony, Janet, and I were left alone. After a moment or so, Tony gave me a meaning glance and rose. Well, I'm for some air. A brisk walk to the beach and back, and then an early night. You'll forgive me if I leave you two together, Will? Of course, Lord Dewhurst. Oh, thank you. Good night. Bye, Blakeney. Night, Tony. Would you... Would you like to play cards, Sir Percy? Piquette, perhaps? Cards, and uh, <laughs> Sure, you nothing bores me more. Then perhaps you'd care for some music. No, nah, no, yeah, for it. Never did have. Then, sir, I don't like a good rousing tune, of course. Bagpipes, for instance. I'm afraid we have no bagpipes here. I'd be surprised if you had. Well, let's just talk, shall we? If you wish it. Tell me about the London season. Was it as exciting as ever? My dear child, the London season is always exciting to those who contemplate it and drearily dull to those who experience it. I, I've created an epigram. <laughs> I never realized I was so clever. I must remember that one. The London season is always exciting to those Sir who contemplate it. Why do you always pretend? 
Pretend, my dear. But to be such a... Well, such a fool. Oh, I shouldn't say I'm a fool, exactly. Of course you're not. You're far from it. All this nonsense you go on with may deceive some people, but it doesn't deceive me. Doesn't it, Janet? Not for a moment, and it never has. I've often wondered why you do it. Perhaps there are good reasons. I'm sure there must be. Well, perhaps one day you shall hear them. Meanwhile, I'm glad you do know. Makes things a lot easier. Easier? In what way? Means I can say something I've been waiting to. Janet, I've known you for many years, and I've watched you grow up, and I don't have to tell you I'm very fond of you. Of course not. And at the moment, I'm also very worried about you. Worried? There's something troubling you, something wrong. You're imagining things. Bottling up one's sorrows never helps them. You can tell me, Janet. What is it? Oh, now, don't cry, my dear. Don't cry. Here, dry your eyes on this. Thank you. Oh, that's better, isn't it? Much better. Oh, splendid. Now, let's hear all about it. It's... It's John. John? John Hawkins. You know, he lives by Magavessi. You mean Sir Richard Hawkins, son? Yes. Tell me about it. Oh, not much to tell, really. He went off to Oxford a year ago. After a while, we began to hear vague rumors... Some sort of scandal. Then suddenly he came back. On vacation, you mean? No, he was sent down. I see. <laughs> well, it's a fairly common story, you know. Youthful high spirits, lack of discipline. If that's all it were, I shouldn't have minded. But it's much worse than that. If you'd rather not go into detail. No, no, I want to tell you. You see, he became friendly at his college with a number of students who were interested in politics. They like to consider themselves advanced liberal thinkers. They read books by people like Thomas Paine and Voltaire and Rousseau... And they converted John to their way of thinking. Ah, now I begin to understand. Till he became the most fanatical of them all. They just talked about these things among themselves. But he tried to force his opinions on the professors and lecturers and at meetings. And on the ordinary people in the streets. He started writing inflammatory pamphlets. Urging the people of England to revolt like the French. What's he like, really? Fundamentally, I mean. And underneath all this, would you say he was an ordinary, sensible, level-headed young man? Before he went to Oxford, he always seemed to be to me. Ah, well, perhaps you'll get over it in time. Next morning, Janet guided me to within a quarter of a mile of the beach and then left me. I had no trouble in finding young Hawkins, nor indeed in recognizing him. I greeted him, recalled our previous meeting, and sat down beside him, with the obvious air of a man who has time to spare and who enjoys a casual talk. I heard the Trevallians were entertaining guests. You're down from London, I suppose. Yes, yes. Dizzily glad to be away from the place for a while, too. Tell me, how is London? Full of wealthy ne'er-to-wells and sycophants as ever. Oh, really, now. There'll come a day, and sooner than you think. When heads will fall and the streets will run with blood, eh? Yes. Oh, sir, you've a most convincing flow of eloquence. But have you ever seen heads fall? Uh, actually fall, I mean, you know, and the streets all flowing with blood? Well, no, but... Uh, I had, you know, in Paris. You were there during the terror? Yes, yes. I got caught up in it, you know. I tried to help a couple of uh, a feet decadent friends of mine. You amaze me more and more. You'll be telling me next you're the Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh, my dear fellow, no, not that. <laughs> but if you doubt my word... My dear sir, I've no doubt whatever that beneath that somewhat languid exterior, you're the bravest and noblest of men. Oh, this is too much, really. Men have demanded satisfaction for less. I'm at your service any time you please. Oh, thank you, thank you. But it so happens I, I, I don't believe in it. Don't believe in dueling. Disapprove on principle. Let me tell you this. Whether you believe it or not, I was in Paris during the terror. And though revolution may be very exciting in theory, it's not very pretty in practice. Thank you for the lesson, Professor. 
but I prefer to pursue my studies at first hand. Oh, you're going to France? Of course. Well, when? Soon. When I return, I'll be an experienced revolutionary. Oh, I say. So look out for your neck, Sir <laughs> Goodbye, you poor apology for a man. <laughs> What Hawkins didn't realize as he stood across the sand was that a small piece of paper had fallen from his pocket. I waited till he was out of sight before I retrieved and opened it. Its contents gave me an idea. I hurried home, sought out Tony, and told him the whole story. If you ask me, Janet's well rid of such an ass. But she loves him, Tony. Well, she'll get over it in time. I doubt it. And in any case, he's not an ass. If one can judge from the stupid way he's behaving. Yes, yes, I know. But he's a decent lad. I'm sure of that. Any fault is that he's too young and too impressionable. He's allowed his mind to be poisoned by a lot of nonsense and he doesn't realize it. That's our job. Make him see the truth. Well, that's going to be rather difficult, isn't it? You'll say he won't listen to reason. Well, talk won't get us anywhere. We need something more positive than that. Yeah, but what? He wants to go to France to see for himself. Very well, he shall. And with reliable guides. Well, I still don't understand. I told you, he dropped a note. Yes. Well, have you got it? No. <laughs> I left it where it had fallen in case he discovered his loss and returned for it. But what it amounted to is this. He's already arranged a passage to France, secretly, of course. At midnight on June the 17th, he's to meet a certain citizen Croyeux, the Blue Anchor in Dover. And Croyeux is to take him across the Channel and thence to Paris, where presumably he'll be taken on a carefully conducted tour and shown what few good things there are about the revolution and none of the bad. Ah, now it's all becoming clear. Croyeux will be unavoidably detected. And uh, <laughs> you'll turn up suitably disguised, of course, in his place. Exactly. And I, also in disguise, will be waiting to welcome him on the yacht. And we'll show him France and what revolution really means. Wonderful. Ah, June the 17th, you say. We're a long way from Dover. That means we'll have to leave almost at once. Ah, I'm sure you'd feel as I do about this. <laughs> I've already taken the liberty of ordering the horses for 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. myself began one of the most curious adventures of our career. The first part was easy enough. We located the man Croyeuse, he came ashore at Dover, and disposed of him with no great trouble. I disguised myself as him and made my way at midnight to the Blue Anchor. Young Hawkins was already waiting. I led him down to the waterfront and aboard my yacht for daydream. We cast off and put to sea. So far, he had suspected nothing. Then with my skipper Briggs at the tiller, the three of us, Hawkins, Tony, and myself, Entered the cabin. Vous n'avez pas disé, um, déjà, uh, venons nous, monsieur? Calais, peut-être? Ou Dieppe? You need not talk French, Hawkins. You're not very good at it. If you must know where we are heading, it's Boulogne. I. I, I don't understand. You, you speak English, both of you? Of course we speak English. But I was given to believe you spoke no English. Is not your name Croyeur? Citizen Croyeur met with an unfortunate accident. I decided to deputize for him. Am I to understand that this is some kind of plot? That I've been, well, kidnapped? You could put it that way, I suppose. But why? And, and who are you, anyhow? Uh, you may call me Jean. And my friend here, Pierre. Well, those aren't your real names. No. <laughs> but that is something we are not at liberty to disclose. You are entitled to know, however, that we are members of an organization of which you may possibly have heard. 
an organization known as the League of the Scarlet Pimpernel. What? This is absurd. Absurd, perhaps, but true. I demand you put me ashore at once. You hear that, Jean? He demands we put him ashore at once. It's drôle, Espatia. Yeah? It is very <laughs> Suppose we refuse. What will you do? Swim? We're already three miles off the coast, you know. Now you listen to me. You wanted to go to France, didn't you, to see how a revolution works at first hand. How did you know that? We have ways and means of learning these yes, things. We knew, for instance, of your appointment tonight with the Estimable Citizen Choir. Suppose I did want to go to France. What's that to do with you? Perhaps more than you realize. In any case, you needn't think you're going to stop me. My dear foolish young man, we haven't the slightest intention of stopping you. In fact, that's precisely why we're here. What do you mean? You wish to go to France. Very well. We shall take you there. We are authorities on the place, you see. You wish to study the revolution and what it means in terms of human lives. Very well. We shall be your tutors. We are authorities on revolution, too, you know. And we'll show you what it really is like, not as its champions would want you to believe. We'll show you how something born as an ideal can turn into a holocaust of hatred and blood and treachery and murder. We'll show you what happens when unscrupulous men arm and incite a mob and then step aside and let them wallow in death and destruction. We've seen it all, monsieur. You'll find us excellent teachers. Of course, there must be certain conditions. Pierre and I, as you imagine, are not precisely persona grata in some circles in France. From the moment we step on French soil, one word of betrayal from you or anyone else, and our lives will be forfeit. So we must ask you to give us your word of honor that in no circumstances will you reveal our identity to anyone. You'd be prepared to accept my word? Of course. Knowing that if I broke it, you'd go to your death? Certainly. But why? Why do you take such a chance? Mm, because we think we know you a little better, perhaps, than you know yourself. Because you're English and the son of Sir Richard Hawkins. I see. And suppose I refuse to give my word? Oh, we beg of you most earnestly not to do that. But suppose I do. A pistol ball in the heart, perhaps, and a dead body tossed overboard. After all, who's to know? If you refuse, you have our word that you'll be returned to Dover and put ashore unharmed. In other words, you'd really give me a free choice? We have no wish to coerce you. You realize, of course, that on the face of it, the whole thing is quite outrageous. Oh, quite. You've no right whatever to do what you did. Not the slightest. Unless it's mere whimsy, which I can't believe, I've no idea what your motives can possibly be. And I'm bound to warn you that nothing you can say or do is likely to alter my present beliefs and convictions. However, it's obvious you're sincere. Oh, thank you. So, you say our destination's Boulogne. When do you expect us to reach that? Uh, Does that mean... You asked for my word, gentlemen. You have it, as an Englishman and a Hawkins. When we landed in Boulogne, young Hawkins, too, was in disguise. We renamed him Jacques, and we told him to hold his tongue. The journey to Paris was without incident, and much more pleasant than circumstances would have suggested. Hawkins bore no rancor, and except on the subject of politics, he chatted freely and pleasantly, when no one else was listening, of course. I liked the boy. He was a good type, capable... And among other things, he was a superb horseman. Oh, you ride well, Jacques. You fit the saddle as though you were born to it. I was almost born to it. Father gave me my first pony when I was four. You like horses, huh? When you've been brought up amongst them, you can't help but like them. They've got a, oh, I don't know, a sort of nobility about them. Man's best friend, eh? Strite, I know, but true. There's one thing in the world I can't bear is to see a horse neglected or ill-treated. I see red at once. I simply can't contain myself. When I was 15, I saw one of our grooms thrashing an old mare. I took another whip and thrashed him. Oh, poetic justice. Father punished me, of course. Not for the thrashing, which he approved, but for losing my temper. 
He was quite right. Fathers usually are. Some ways, anywhere. How far are we from Paris? About 15 miles. We should be there by nightfall. Looking forward to it? I can hardly wait. In Paris, we took rooms as usual at the inn called Les Trois Epis. Tony went off for an hour or so that evening, and next morning, after breakfast... If you're ready, Jacques, we'll go now. Go? Where? To find the vantage spot in the Rue Royale. The Tambrels will be passing in an hour on their way to the guillotine. You're about to have your first lesson. I see. Well, I'll go if you wish, but I don't know what you imagine is going to prove. After all, I'm already aware that people are executed every day. I've known that all along. Of course you have, but up to now, people has just been an abstract word to you. Today you'll see them as they are. Human beings, flesh and blood, men and women, facing their last moments on earth. Not just men and women. You see, I spent an hour last night studying the execution list and learning what I could of those on it. I fancy you may find it very interesting. Let us go, shall we? The gray-haired man passing us now is Monsieur Le Comte de Volontier. His crime... Beating a drunken officer with attacking his daughter. The Abbe Ducay. His crime? Refusing to disclose the whereabouts of a refugee. Madame Marie Dubois. Her crime? Refusing to become the mistress of a member of the commune. Louis Beaumarchais. A farmer. His crime? publicly protesting against the wanton destruction of his barns and hayricks. Well, Jacques, now you know why people die in the great cause of liberty, equality, and fraternity. There must have been more to it. There must have been circumstances you knew nothing about. If there were, they weren't made apparent at the various trials or... What passes for trials in this country? Even so, they were enemies of the state. Deserving of death. When you lop rotten branches from a tree, you have to be ruthless. Ah, Le Comte de Volontier is a rotten branch, or the Abbe de Caille. I'll grant you that perhaps mistakes are sometimes made, but it's better than ten innocent people should die than one guilty should go free. I thought they saw it just the other way in England. England? Oh, England, I know. An effete, decadent civilization. <laughs> then let us proceed to the second lesson. What's that to be? We want you to meet some friends of ours. People we knew and loved, and to whose goodness and gentleness we can attest. Unfortunately, you won't be able to talk to them. Why not? Because tombstones are dumb. Come with us, Jacques. And so, day after day, the lessons proceeded. We took young Hawkins to the courts to see the mockery that was made of justice. We took him into the hospitals to see the people dying of starvation, into the slums to see the poverty and misery and degradation to the opera to see the leaders of the commune, the new privileged class, with their wives and mistresses flaunting their wealth and jewels. And still the fool was not convinced. I concede you've made a good case, but not good enough. You still believe in the glory of the revolution? Ultimately, yes. You don't approve these things we've shown you? Of course not. How could I? In a period of violent change, in the complete overthrow of a way of life, I believe they're inevitable. For a certain period, in any revolution, there must be excesses. You think, then, that all this will go? Yes. Uh, that men who today live by cheating and betrayal, by theft and cruelty and murder, will one day change and become the wise rulers of this country. When passions have cooled, I believe so, yes. Then you don't know human nature, and there's little hope for you, I fear. We were told you were stubborn, 
But with no idea he was blindly, stupidly stubborn as this. For heaven's sake... Oh, not Pierre, if the evidence of his eyes won't convince him, shouting at him won't. I am tired, and my soul is sick with the things I've seen today. Let us go to bed. There was little sleep for me that night. We had fought for the soul of John Hawkins, and it seemed to me we had lost. How was I to know that in truth, the victory was almost in our grasp? It happened next morning, suddenly, with no warning. We were walking in the Rue Richelieu, the three of us, and we were obliged to move aside to let a military convoy pass. A horse attached to one of the wagons was playing up, and as it came opposite us, the driver produced a great stave, and cursing angrily, he began to belabor the unfortunate animal. to Hawkins' rescue. A dozen soldiers bore down on us, and in a few seconds it seemed half the street was fighting. Our swords were out, the three of us stood shoulder to shoulder. Here for liberty! Ah. Equality! Oh. And fraternity, you murderous dog! There is an alley a few yards away. Fight our way to it if we can. Right. When I give the word disengage, run for your life. No! narrow streets we separated to confuse the pursuit. For a while it was touch and go, but at last we were clear. Ten minutes later, we were at Les Troisiers saddling our mounts. And an hour after that, we were clear of Paris, heading northwest for the coast. At Dieppe, our old fisherman friend, Pierre Ballard, supplied a boat. And so it was that as the sun rose behind us one morning, we sailed into Dover and made fast to the quay. The time for farewells had come. I... I don't know what to say. I don't know how to thank you, too. You've been absolutely wonderful. Quite. They listen to the man, eh? So long as you're cured, that's all that matters. Cured? That's what revolution means. God forbid it should ever come to England. If it does, I shall fight it with all my strength and all my heart. Splendid. That's all we wanted to know. I still don't know why you did it, though. Why you risked your lives all for the sake of making me realize my own stupidity. Or perhaps one day you will understand. But what's even more important, I still don't know who you are. I am Jean. And I am Pierre. I mean, who you really are. Now it's all over. Couldn't you possibly... Ah. That is one thing we never divulge. Just think of us as two good friends who wish you well. Now it is time for you to go. Goodbye. Goodbye, monsieur. Goodbye, my two good friends. Lads, sir, there go the bells. Mustn't be late, must we? It's the privilege of the bride. What do you say to these cups? <laughs> yes, yes, I, I think they'll do. Cravette? Ah, right enough to pass muster, perhaps. Have we got the ring? Ring? What ring? Uh, what? Oh, oh, yes, 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 here we are. <laughs> Pardon my sir, I thought I'd lost it for a moment. Stupid of me. Shall we go? By all means. Uh, I say, just one thing, dear mm. boy. It's just awkward for me to say this, you know, but uh, you'll forgive my embarrassment, I hope. Well, of course. Well, um... I, I know I'm not much of a fellow from your viewpoint. I mean to say, no, the effete, 
decadent types, it were. <laughs> Not the sort of person you'd have chosen for your best man. Uh, but it was uh, dear Janet's wish, you know, and so, well, <laughs> I couldn't very well say a nay, could I? You do understand. <laughs> Better than you think, perhaps. The bells again. We're going to be late. Come on. My good friend, John. <laughs> <laughs> 